Welcome to episode 194 of the Batflip Crazy Podcast, where you'll always find enthusiastic, data-driven fantasy baseball analysis and strategy. I am your host, Toby. Today is edition number 98 of Bubba and the Batflip, our 2021 season in review. That's right, the 2021 season is officially in the books, um, and we take a look back at that. Who were some of the fantasy MVPs? Who were some of the fantasy Cy Youngs, guys that surprised us? as well as just some lessons learned, both positive um, and some things that we need to uh, improve on. And there were definitely a lot of those. So hope you enjoy uh, this episode. As always, uh, would love it if you gave the podcast a good rating and review um, on iTunes if you haven't already. You can reach me on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. You can reach Bubba on Twitter at BDNTrek. Let's get this party started. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bubba and the Bat Flip, episode 98. The 2021 fantasy baseball season has come to an end. Six months in the books, tons and tons of fun, tons and tons of stress. Um, I don't have any more hair to pull out, so it didn't affect me. Uh, Toby's still looking good, though, at least I think underneath those hats. But uh, you can find me on Twitter at BDNTrick, my co-host. I mentioned, as always, on Twitter at Bat Flip Crazy. Toby, how we doing, man? Uh, we're doing well, Bubba. The end of the season was a solid one. You know, it didn't go like the best that it could, but it wasn't the worst, which I think is, is important. So yeah. And it's nice. It's nice to be in the off season. Although it's funny, like I was just counting down the days, honestly, until the season was over. Like I just was ready for it to be over. And then the moment it was over, I was like, I was like, I'm ready to draft. I was like, I want to like, like I'm in some, you know, group chats and stuff like that, where people are just like, you know, some people are already drafting. So the bug is already there. And you know, we're exciting, but I'm going to cut down on leagues next year. When we talk about things that went wrong and things that got right, I am going to cut down on leagues next year. Yeah. I so. already I already pulled out of two leagues this morning. I have a couple more I'm working oh, on. Oh, did you? Oh, yeah. We'll talk oh, about wow. that. I'm, I'm already making a conscious decision on certain things to uh, – wow. I, might, I might add a few more somewhere else, but we'll talk about that as we uh, get into mm, it. But Interesting. Uh, I, I'm with you as well. It's nice to be done. My, my wife has laughed because um, for the entire season, Sunday through Thursday nights, I had two DFS shows I did every night and amongst everything else. So it's been entertaining. Like, like Sunday night, we got home from my nephew's second birthday. We spent the weekend at their house. And she's like, do you have any podcasts tonight? I said, nope. And she's like, what? Well, did you, she's all, do you have any articles right? Nope. And she's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, it's going to be nice for a little while. <laughs> it's going to be nice. So here we are. Baseball season in the books. It's uh, it's nice, but uh, playoff baseball's on. The, the Red Sox look like they're about to take down the uh, the Yankees, which is fun. Got yeah, what's what's the score? I saw it early on. Oh, around. it's six to, six to one. Six to one. Going to the bottom of the eighth. Right Man, now. what a shame. You know, yeah. Garrett Cole struggling, shortest start in two innings. however many years. Imagine spending a first-round pick on him next year. I know. I, I, would, I could not imagine it. Like, did you see my tweet I put just, out there? Just never. No, I didn't. I didn't. Like Ray, Murphy was, Ray, Ray Murphy was the first one to favorite it. And I've had a few others. I said, 
oh man, you know, Garrett Cole's price tag just keeps dropping after these starts. Then I use the excellent gift from Mr. Burns. <laughs> it's like, yeah. yeah, you guys just let him go. That's fine. No, totally. Like, totally. Like, he's, 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 not he's awful. awful. Not he's awful. It. No he should be stuff, in the third no or fourth round this year. Yeah, sure. easily. Yeah, at the best. Just like Luis let him, Castillo. Let him so drop. Just don't, don't, don't draft him at all. It's very so, yeah. similar pitchers. Yes, very, very similar pitchers. Same profile, everything. So that'll be For sure. That'll be fun to watch. Like that's always the good part because the postseason has guys like that, or you know, the opposite. Randy Rosarena last year, who ended up having a good year this year in the he end. Did. Like if you look at his numbers, but man, the start of the season there was a lot of early victory lap and like you idiots, you shouldn't have taken him early, all this stuff. But that's the beauty of a six month season. Like it's it's something we'll talk about a lot during the off season reviews. It's it's, it's hard to hang on, but it's one of those if you have the, the willpower to go. Okay, I I trust the back of the baseball card theory. Like these guys will get their numbers. Well, if you struggled through the, the tough parts, which is hard to keep struggling with, some most more often than not, they're going to get you what you need. So, and he he proved that, and uh, it's, it's it's tough, but it works, and that's one thing that we'll uh, we'll talk about for sure. But let's just start with our season in review, Toby, and um, we'll go over some of what the leagues that we did good, bad, whatever you want to do. Uh, so, recap how things went for you, because I will say this before I give you the floor. You know, last year you basically won everything. This year, you might not have won of everything, but I think this year was more impressive to me because watching you throughout the season, you were like in the you you were not happy early on. Like things were not going well early with the saves, everything else. You ran your butt off to get to where you got. Like you showed some some moxie, kid. No, so you, you it was it was it was very impressive to uh, to see. I, I I know you'd rather have the big wins and all that. I think this was much more of an impressive season in my books because a lot of people give up and go oh, screw it. I can't win this. Year. But you. You cashed in a lot more leagues than I think people thought you maybe like you were going to at one point this season. So the floor is yours. Yeah. I mean, ever, ever since there's something about like that Vlad Jr. curse, you know, that got me this year. But um, no, I appreciate that. It was a different, it was a very different season, I think, than the last two. Um, I've been very fortunate, you know, in a small sample to be successful in then FBC in some mains as well. I mean, last year, last year I went into the last day and I was, I was hoping to hold on to one victory and I ended up with three, you know? So it's just like one of those things. (laughs) Exactly. And it's not going to happen. And for every time that that happens, there's the opposite that's going to happen too, right? Where everything goes exactly like the opposite. And so, especially when it rolls well for you, you're kind of like just waiting for that other shoe to drop, but it was a grind of a year. I mean, I started off super slow, as you mentioned, saves were really, throughout the season, just really difficult. And I think what was really challenging is it made the game chasing the saves made it not fun because I was spending, I normally, it's not like I enjoy fab. Like it's one of those things, you know, anybody who is in a lot of fab leagues, like you, you grind and like, it's this bittersweet, like you like the strategy of it. You like the finding the gems and the analysis and those different filters you use to try to find the guys that work. And when it works, it's great. When it doesn't, it's not. But when you're just, when you're literally just looking for guys that get save opportunities and that's where 99% of your focus is, it really makes it not very much fun. So it was a little bit doom and gloom. It was a tough start to the season, but I think I love the, I love the full, I love full season Roto for this reason. It's kind of like you mentioned, you know, like there's those early victory laps, you know, and like you think back to some of them and you're like, what were we thinking on these either victory laps or thinking that guys sucked? I mean, we got a bunch yeah. of questions about Juan Soto and like oh, yeah. how terrible he was. And I haven't looked at his final line. I'm sure maybe it's a little bit less than what we had hoped for, but 
the end of the season, you know, it's just like, how could you complain about what, like, it's just so many things went, went good. And so for me, for the season, it ended up being really good. And one of the lessons that it taught me just generally in terms of league selection is just, it's really helpful to diversify a little bit. You know, I was not very successful in my mains this year. I only cashed in two out of four. I finished third in both of those. Although one of them, like I finished overall, I think it ended up actually being 41st. But I was in a league with two people, you know, shout out uh, Greg Martin. And I think the other guy's name is Alan Mitchell. Alan Mitchell had two top 20 teams. I mean, um, yeah. And one of them was in mine and and, and um, Greg Martin was great too. He only had one team, but I think he finished top 15. I think one guy was like eighth and one guy was 15th. I mean, imagine 15, finishing 15th in the overall and finishing second. That kind of sucks, but at least you have the overall prize to like buoy you a little bit. Yeah. But I finished 41st overall in that league. So it was like an okay year. Um, but then I had I had two high stakes leagues and one of them, um, I was in the diamond. I was sharing that with um, uh, with Brian Slack, which was a lot of fun to like share a league. I'd never done that before. Um, and I learned a lot through that experience. And, and our team just never really got going. In the super, you know, I had a pretty consistent team. I, I had Shane Bieber, so I lost my first round pick. Uh, my draft wasn't that great, but I got like Robbie Ray. I had Carlos Rodon. I was able to kind of put it together and I finished second in that one. And it's a high stakes league. So just finishing second in that combined with winning a couple um, online championships and a couple of DCs ended up making it a positive ROI year for me, which was really big. And so, yeah, so it was nice. I grinded and I ended up finishing pretty high in every single important league that I was in relatively speaking, which, which was pretty nice. Um, but I would say like, I don't know. Do you want to share how you did? And then we, yeah, then we'll go, we'll go to, we'll like, go to what, right, what so went right. Just so I don't talk bit. for like yeah. 20 minutes in a row. <laughs> I do want to mention Juan Soto though, but he hit 313 with 29 homers, nine stolen bases, 111 runs scored, 95 RBIs and 151 games. Like, I know that might be slightly down from what people wanted, but that seems pretty darn good to me. Like, I, I bet it's pretty close to the projections. Yeah, I don't. I, they don't. They don't have the. I guess I'd have to go find the full season projections. Yeah, yeah. Let me pull this up real quick. Um, where's Mister Soto? Soto's streamer projections had him for 150 games, hitting 302 with 40 homers, so 11 homers shy, but 108 runs, 114 RBIs, and 11 stolen bases. So all in all. Considering the slow start, pretty darn good. Like he's like getting MVP consideration, so that tells you that he got something right. And you got to imagine all the walks he was getting after all the trades. Like he was, he wasn't going full Barry Bonds, but he wasn't getting a lot of hit to hit, and he was hitting everything. Oh, he man. had he had a twenty two percent walk rate, twenty two percent walk rate. The walk to K rate was just nuts. Yeah, 20, I think it was fifteen percent K, twenty two percent walk. Um, if you watch like playing DFS, I, I just kept telling people to plug him in every day. Don't care about the price because he was getting double digits because he'd walk two or three times a day, score a couple runs. He was when he hit it, he it was awesome. Like he was just a monster getting on base. So um, I'll go right back to him next year. I don't, I'm not concerned about it. I know that the, I think they'll have to do something. They have to add somebody. They can't go with the same lineup next year, but we'll see. That's a whole other discussion for another day. Um, all right. So my season in a nutshell. It uh, fell apart over the last like couple weeks. It was going like oh. September first. The season ended. I would have cashed like every single league. So that was I was very bummed at the end. But in the, in the end, uh, TGFBI was fun. You know that was good. Finished third in our league. They're tied for third. We had five guys like tied like all next to each other. Outside of um, I believe it was uh, Zach Rota who just crushed us all. 
in that league. Let me, I got to give him proper credit here because, yeah, yeah, we should go through our leagues and give shout outs to the people who yeah. won. Yeah, Zachary know? Waxman, he he had 113 points, but then uh, John Fenton, myself, Eric Mendelson, and Bloomfield, and Carlos Marcano, we all tied. So there's like a there's a four way tie for third. So it was it was pretty impressive in that regards. But then uh, going down, Battle of the Pods finished second to uh, Rob DiPietro, who just crushed us all in that league, just destroyed us. I believe you were fourth in that league. So we uh, bubbing the baffle. I did finish fourth. Four. So you was, you beat me though. Yeah, but and you beat me. I I'm just happy with that team because two things. My first two picks were crushed Eli- me. <laughs> no, my first two teams were Eloy Jimenez and Luis Castillo. So that made me happy that it survived. And the last like three weeks, every time I went to set a lineup, there was more and more red suitcases. So it was getting like stressful. I I didn't have a first baseman for the last three weeks of the season. Every oh, one of my man. first basemans were injured. I gotta see. I I remember being short on pitching in that yes. league from the get go, and it crushed me. Um, I did win my RotoWire online championship qualifier, so that made me happy because I was rolling with it all season. And then like the second week of September, I fell like fourth out of nowhere. But then uh, the Sunday before the final week, I went into first and I just pulled away. The final week, thank God. Um, my satellite leagues. I was in second and one at September 1st, finished seventh. I'll explain why I think this happened when we get there. That one really anchored me a lot. And then in my other one, I finished third in, and I was battling between first for most of that season. So that was a bummer as well. And then NFBC 50s, I finished second in one of them, and then sixth and tenth in two others. So it wasn't too great, but I, the best balls on fan tracks and the drafts and holds on fan tracks, those went very well. So I'm, I'm happy. I, I won a couple of those, and uh, – That'll help really make things happen. But all in all, it was a productive season. So um, I think, oh, and Maddie Wood, the NPC 50, I finished second in Maddie Wood, won that one. And the uh, satellite, I finished third in. Greg Jewett finished second. I forget the gentleman's name. I don't know who the gentleman is in first, so I can't give him proper love. But um, I can tell you his name. It was James Gable. Hmm. So don't know who he is, but Greg Jewett. I'll give him a ton of credit because he was like fourth and fifth all year, and I was in second battling for first. And the last month, he went all the way towards the top. I just started slowly falling, so he put a hell of a run in there. All right, so what else you got for the uh, the season review? Um, so just shout-outs to people. So in the Diamond, Larry Schechter won that one. So kudos to him. In my Super, Ned Donahue beat me by two points. Um, but he was he was dominant in the end, and he's he finished second, I think, in the main event overall last year. So just a really good player. And shout out to Dave uh, McDonald, who had a nice little late run in that, that league. one that like, slept through like, the first two picks? Yeah, that he that he was not available for the first two picks, <laughs> and we stopped it for him. Um, and then uh, in my first main, so Alan Mitchell won. He was 13th overall. Greg Martin was 15th overall, lost by half a point. Yeah, and I was third at 41st overall. Um, in my second main event, Dalton Del Don won. And again, I think we've mentioned on the show yeah, before. Yeah, road, man. My God. Dude, but shout out to him. I mean, he had an extreme strategy of hitting pitching hard and early. Like his first five picks were pitchers, something like that. I think in one of my leagues. And kudos to him. It worked out. He was super consistent. Um, I think this was, was his best league. I think he finished 42nd overall here, but just really consistent in all the leagues that I was with him in, which was at least two main events. Um, so shout out to him there. Um, in main event three, Joe Anthony uh, won. Uh, he was had a fantastic season. He posted his um, season results. He won both of his main events. Um, and he finished 16th overall. Yeah, so kudos to him. 
And then Thorn in my side, Jeff Zimmerman. Uh, Jeff Zimmerman and Fred Zinke oh, uh, won year. my other main event. Yeah, they uh, finished 35th overall, um, won our main event. Dalton Del Dom was second. So shout out to them. I've played, I've played up against Jeff twice in like NFBC so far, last year in our mini super and this year in a main event. And he's, he's beaten me both times. And I think I've finished like third and fifth or something like that. So I promised Jeff to give you a better run, you know, the next time we run up against each other. And then in TGFBI, I finished, uh, I finished second, um, a 41st overall. So solid, solid showing, but Jordan Rosenblum was just, I never had a shot, honestly, like halfway through the season, it was like, I'm not even trying to trying to win this. I'm just trying to grind it out, finish as high as I could in the overall. And I was able to move up with stolen bases and, and, and saves towards the end of the season, but not, never got close to, to him. I think I lost by like 20 points. Yeah, and if you if people want to go check it out, Jordan put out a really cool like chart of people that could have been picked up throughout the season and the return value they gave you, so you could see if you were like I guess quote unquote sharp or if you got good value on your picks and how they helped you potentially win your leagues or lose your leagues. It's it's an interesting exercise. Like it, it's not the end all be all, but it was pretty cool to see uh, who the big guys were. Like Adelise Garcia, obviously grabbed him early for cheap. He like crushed it, and even though he wasn't that great towards the end, what he did at the beginning. You couldn't you couldn't match that oh, it was so, like 30 15 i mean yeah it was insane so lock it, it up it's it, it's great in those regards so just it's a cool little exercise if you if you guys have time to check it out or want to check it out but um you talked about things you might do differently you're kind of hinting at it what um we'll start on the positive side of things what went right for you this year to uh kind I'm not, of I'm not, I'm not you where you are. <laughs> I'm, I'm more i'm more of like a critical person oh, things we'll that, that went well Sal Perez went well. I had a lot of Sal Perez, a lot of Sal Perez. I think I had him in like 12 leagues or something like that. Um, So that was super positive Um, having Sal Perez. And even, I mean, JTR, he didn't have the season that we had dreamed of, but he still finished with 17 home runs, 13 stolen bases, 65 runs, I think, and 73 RBIs with a solid enough batting average. So, you know, generally like, investing in a high catcher. I mean, there was certainly catchers that you could have invested on later on too and got a return, but I think that worked pretty well for me. Another thing that worked well is I kind of tried this for the first time, but I really honed in on velocity increases in spring training. And I used a lot of my late round picks to target those guys. And as a result, I got a lot of Sean Manaya, who was up and down this season, but for pick, you know, 250. His 370 RA and one two something whip and however many wins he got me was was pretty phenomenal as well as the K's. So that really worked really well for me. I got Carlos Rodon for the same reason. Worked out super well for me. And then Robbie Ray worked out for me for the same reason in a number of places. And so that's definitely something that I'm going to be looking at moving forward is really putting a lot of stock, at least in later round pitchers in those velocity increases, because I really think that that's, you know, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of critical. Um, so those things were good. My hitting generally was pretty good this year. I will say, I think there was only one league where I really struggled in hitting, but I could be lying. Um, my DCs, I definitely did better later on. Mm-hmm. Um, so drafting later on with like more of a idea of what is going to, what, what the landscape is, I think is, I think I'm stronger in that because I think I'm better at working in certainty than in some of this not certain stuff. So those were some of the positive things I think 
that I was able to do. I also did really well in stolen bases this year. Yeah. Um, generally speaking, a couple places where I wasn't, but I'm in a lot of leagues. Generally, I was pretty solid in my fab leagues in stolen bases. Yeah, so, no, that's one thing I was going to mention as well. Is we, we both have that similar approach. Where we try to stay balanced. Like most of our picks have to give us something in steals more often than not. And that helped me a ton as well this year because there's a lot of people that were scrounging for say or stolen bases and stuff. And knock on wood, I was doing just fine. Like really no major issues and steals all year. I was near like top four in every league in stolen bases. It was never an issue at all. So that that was nice not having to chase that because chasing that throughout later in the season, it's a lot of dead stuff that comes with that little power. So I'd rather go chase a power bat or something else than go chase a guy with steals. It's, it's, we've talked about it a lot, but that that's part of the philosophy and it worked out this year. So we'll see how that continues on. Uh, my, my attitude towards saves of getting at least one of the big dogs early, if not two helped me out a ton that uh, allowed me to kind of not focus on them as much towards the end. We'll get into that a little later too, but um, that, that helped a, a bunch there. And I could go in fab and get guys like Cal Quantrill and some other guys throughout the season that helped me out a ton because my starting pitchers, like the Giolitos and the Castillos, they still finished okay, but they weren't the big picks you you needed early on, not to mention injuries and, and everything else. So that, uh, that that helped me to be able to spend some fab on some starting pitchers instead of some closers. I guess the other, I guess the other thing, like similar to what you said, we kind of talked about it before the show is drafting later in the season like do do the early stuff like the cheaper early stuff to get comfortable with things and then go hammer later pretty much any draft i did after march 1st i was rolling in at least until the end like things were good i made some probably poor managerial decisions which we'll talk about shortly that could have affected those things but uh, the rosters were much stronger much much stronger to start the season and then you're not you don't have dead spots like stuff we draft in like like the battle of the pods league what we do that was it even in december November, something crazy. Um, I had at least two or three guys that didn't even make a roster that year. It was just like things that you like Rick Porcello. Somehow Rick Porcello didn't. Oh yeah, there. dude. Like, I had I had Porcello and Hamels on one team. Yeah. It was just like, and you know, if you would have talked to us last November, why wouldn't those guys sign somewhere? Like, why not? So it's just Good one question. of those things. Why yeah, didn't least, why didn't he sign somewhere? Yeah, where was Porcel? My, I'm trying to figure out was is he an anti-vax code? Like, didn't want to play by any of the rules, or is there something structurally wrong with him that we just don't know about? Because a lot of teams could have used a cheap rich Porcel Padres to eat, to eat innings. Yeah, instead of Jake Arrieta's or oh, Vinny yeah, v dude, or something. Like, like come you on. can't be as bad as Jake Arrieta. I mean, yeah. we all knew that. Like, holy yeah. crap, that's bad. so that that was surprising. So that's kind of where I'm at. like. The, the steals, the, the saves, stuff in those lines, uh, they, they went very, very well. Got a few other things we got to work on. But uh, what went wrong for you in, in uh, 2021? What went wrong? Everything. No, I'm just kidding. Um, the saves, the saves piece was just awful. And um, that's something that I'm going to change moving forward because I'd never experienced that before. The complete inability to get saves. Like I tried really, really hard. I had guys on my, like just everything was going wrong. And it's just the absolute worst. It's the worst thing I've gone through in fantasy baseball in the sense that like, you know, and Tanner Bell, who congratulations to Tanner uh, Bell for winning TGFBI, finishing first overall. Um, Phenomenal job. Tanner's a great player, did well in his main event as well. Just fantastic player. Highly recommend his spreadsheet. You know, I use it uh, religiously for for my drafting prep. 
So shout out there. And also a shout out to uh, Dylan White, who finished second. He finished like five points off or something like that. And Dylan's a phenomenal player. And you'll remember, if, if you remember to the projections that Smata does, Dylan was number one heading into the season. And then wow. to finish number two, um, he's great. And he also finished second in our, in our dynasty league, took a team that was totally out of it. And in a year turned it into a really good team. So shout out to him. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to finish second, but he's, he's a phenomenal player and he'll be, he'll be back there, um, soon enough. But, um, Tanner Bell was saying this in his interview with Justin, uh, on the TGFBI podcast, which I'd highly recommend, but just the, the perspective when you're chasing saves where so much of your energy, not just your fab dollars, but your energy is spent on analyzing closer situations and you have so many, like I was had lines. I had like three or four lines every fab period of different closer speculations. And those are lines that you're getting probably because they're closer specs. And, and, and they're, they're guys you can't drop for actual decent bats. And so, and it's just a horrible experience. I never want to go through that again. And it's not like I will go through that again, but just not at the scale that I did. So I'm definitely going to be targeting one early-ish closer for sure. Like a for sure, for sure guy um, early on. And then we'll see how I kind of move from there. But that's one major thing I think I'm going to, I'm going to have to address. I think another thing for me is just, I'm, I do, and this is like more a psychological thing. I do well with certainty. I'm the type of guy who, when I draft, I like to fill in all my slots first. You know, like I like to fill in all of those starting 14 slots mm -hmm. before I think about anything else. And I think the thing is, I need to be more comfortable with, un like with just, we talk about all the time, but just grinding out that middle infield spot, yep. that corner infield spot. There might be and a better sixth outfielder than whatever middle infielder you're taking right now. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. It's hard. It's hard. I know exactly what you're saying. Cause it's so, totally. it's so tough to be like, okay, I can get Jorge Polanco now to play shortstop. Or I can go and get like Kyle Schwarber to be my sixth outfielder. Which one should I really get? Because I can go get someone else. Like, and it's tough. Totally. And it's like, but it, and it's a total psychological change that you need to go through because, like, it's kind of this idea of like maybe you're operating out of scarcity instead of operating out of abundance. You're like, I'm always like, there's such an urgency around each pick for me where I'm like, I need this guy. I need that guy, or I need this guy to fill this spot. And it's like, and it's like, it, that's what's, what dooms me with the closers. I'm like, I've taken early pitchers. So now I, I can't take a closer here because I have to go offense, you know? And, and I just feel like I need to be a little bit more flexible, a little bit more fluid. And I think I need to get better at, um, at just kind of give taking what the draft board gives me, you know, and, 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 and being willing to not, um, overextend for certain guys like don't overextend because you need Brian Anderson to be your corner infielder because you yeah. really really like him you know sometimes it'll work out sometimes it won't I I also think I want to go heavier starting pitching early because even with the pocket aces and I normally get too early on the thing I always find myself dying over is during the season I shouldn't say dying over, but like the thing that I find myself just like in excruciating pain is like, is pitching, you know, and I just need to create that more stable thing. And, the, and 
And man, you can get such a leg up in K's just by having a few guys who who crush it. Just stable guys. Yeah, I that's mean, that's the biggest just, thing. Because like you're saying, is you usually wait after the second cl- like starter, you go you go like seven eight rounds before you go. So now the stability, like you're saying, just goes out the window, like just yeah. gone. And that's going to be part of something I talk about too. Because like what you're saying right now hits home hard. Like that made a big impact on my season. So it's it made me think a lot about that. Like okay, maybe I should go get a, a really good third or maybe a good fourth. Like it's it's interesting. And here's the thing. I think the ideal way that a season works out is at the end of the season, you're chasing saves. You're chasing saves. Yeah, that's it. You're up in K's, you're up in K's and wins. When you can do that, when you can do that, it, it feels so good because you're not caught in this streaming dynamic. There are closers that are available late. I mean, like I struggled in saves. (laughs) Yeah, I struggled in saves, but I have, I've just finished in the 40s in saves, right? I didn't finish in the 60s and the 70s where I needed to be to be in that 80th percentile group because I was so bad early on, but I could catch up later on. So the thing is, is I want to really boost those wins and those Ks early on and be going down the stretch with those closers and those middle relievers. Cause damn, that feels so, it feels so good to be able to do that. Well, you, you mentioned that Phil the like he talked about how he almost dropped Walker Bueller at the beginning of September because he didn't yeah. need him because he needed saves. And it's because he did what you're talking about. He went, well, he also got Robbie Ray and Carlos Rodon later, but he had the stability to make that work. Uh, I just had uh, Rob DiPietro on last week and he mentioned the same thing. Like the last two weeks, it was or a couple of different weeks. He had seven closers out there because he had such good pitching early on that he didn't need to worry about the wins and the strikeouts. It was like, I didn't really want to drop them per se to help his opponents out, but he definitely needed to start them. So it's like what you're saying. You can go and chase saves and load up for that kind of thing. If you had the stability elsewhere, that's something I was, I'm really thinking about as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I had some leagues where I had eight closers in there too, like down the stretch where it's just like, and it feels really good, honestly. I mean, it feels really good to be able to be in a position to be able to do that. So I think thinking about my league and then and getting stolen bases early because the worst feeling is like having Yanni Hernandez in 50% of your lineups down the stretch. You know what I'm saying? That so and that was like in particular leagues where I wasn't as good or I needed those saves. You know, the teams that closed really strong were the teams that already had a really strong cook case, already had really strong wins and where those relief pitchers could solidify the ratios and the saves at the same time. And while everybody else is, is chasing, you know, while everybody else is chasing and those ratios start to go South a little bit. So I think those were a couple pieces, um, pieces there, but I think just being a little bit more flexible. I mean, look at draft boards at the end of the season. God, they're so, it's so brutal. It's so brutal how bad we are at drafting. I'm particularly bad at drafting. I know it sounds weird because I'm fairly successful, but I am really bad at drafting. And so I'm really bad at drafting. Like I'm a guy who had like every starting pitcher imaginable in the first two rounds, except for Corbin Burns and Max Scherzer, you know, like that's me guys. Um, Don't listen to anything I have to say ever again. So I just think that those are like some real big macro changes that I have to work on. Um, 
And we'll see, you know, it always like, you always think of that and then you get close to the draft and you're in that draft room and you're like, I need that guy because I know he's yep. going to be good. I need Justin Upton, you know, I need yeah. him. But um, yeah, so those are some of the things. And I think I, I got a little complacent after last year. I think I didn't do, part of it's just like, you need a break from doing this stuff, you know? Um, but, you know, I would get to the draft board and I'd see guys and I'd, and I'd be analyzing them and I'd be like, oh man, I didn't realize he was that good. You know, or I didn't realize he had done like this poorly towards the end of last season. So just knowing more about every guy that's that's there and possible on the board, I think is critical. And sometimes I just look at a guy and I'm like, eh, you know, I'm not interested just because I know what the what I think he does. Um, but just being a little bit more in depth, investing a little bit more time in that process um, during the off season and not. Not relying, like I'm always going to rely on projections because they're much smarter than I am, but also doing that individual work. I think that's needed. Yeah, no, there's a lot of, a lot of great stuff out of that. Um, the, the pitcher thing is one that is my biggest, I think when I mentioned those teams I was doing well on and I fell apart at the end, my biggest problem was chasing wins and strikeouts. That's because I was so... and. It, I, I thought I was comfortable in ratios because I was doing very well in ratios, but some of those streamers blew me up so bad that there was no turning back. It was so then it got to the point, well, I'm screwed anyways. Let's just put all the two star guys out there and try to get wins and strikeouts. And then it just got worse, even though I didn't think it could get worse. Like it just, it just kept like compiling and compiling and compiling. That's how I went from like second to seventh. It was, it was really rough to watch. And I was getting more, like I almost stopped looking at that page. I was so angry at it. Mm. So, um, it was one of those that I think either a just be content with what you have and keep grinding it out that way, or B get the earlier starting pitching. Like we talked about, go and get a few more guys to go like wins. I'm not as worried about cause you can't predict that. That's just the way it's going. The landscape's difficult, but the strikeouts and innings strikeouts and innings. That's one thing I learned from the tout wars that I did. The format was innings pitched, not wins, not quality starts innings pitched. You learned a lot there. Cause I know you we're both Giolito guys. Gio was still very good in that league because even though they blew every single one of his starts, it felt like he got you in his pitch six plus most times out. So that helped there. But I think finding those uh, those innings and those strikeouts, that's one big thing I want to look at this next year. And still, you can't always predict that. That's still tough, but you can get a much better gauge on that than you can on wins. So I'll definitely go in that direction. Flip side, the leagues that I somehow did okay in pitching, because most teams that are really good on offense, pitching was, was the thing, the starting pitcher. The ones that are good on pitching, I had no power. No power at all. I had all the steals. I had good average. I had all other four stats. Fine. No power. And chasing home runs usually was not an issue in the past for me. Seemed to be an issue this year for some weird reason. I don't know why. I, it was just not as like, okay, go get DJ Peters, which is fun, but also a crusher at times. Like when he slumps, he slumps hard. Yeah. So it was not easy. Like, do you ride Lewis Brentson until the wheels fall off? And then, like, Jesus Sanchez at the end was nice. That, that, that was a plus at the end. But sometimes it was a little too little too late type scenario. So that one I guess I could focus more on uh, at the back end of the drafts because there are guys we see in the draft rooms that the power, like the Schwarbers and stuff. There's always some of those guys. But starting pitching, the strikeouts, that's a big one for me. Big, big strikeouts. I'll continue to draft closers the way I've been drafting them. That's, and the one thing I will say, though, and you you hinted at it, or you you talked about. It. I don't know if you meant to talk about it the way you did. We talked every week about fab pickups, and early in the season, all the big money went to these speculative closers. But then, as the season wears on and the budgets get smaller, you there's a reason you got forty plus saves at the end for cheap 
because you waited while everyone else is out of money and you're getting I remember the one week I was happy I got Ranger Suarez and uh, whoever I was closing at the time for Cincinnati for like before he got DFA'd. Um, I got them both for like six bucks and it was awesome because everyone was trying to break the bank on closers. One thing I will say if I'm hurting for saves in the future, I don't see this landscape changing anytime soon. Don't break the bank early, just wait because you will get your saves. Do not just go break your bank on like a potential Adelise Garcia or somebody else. Do not break it on the speculative closers early on. That'd be my one bit of advice from that whole thing that we've talked about all season. Cause I don't see that changing at all in the near future. Cause what I want to ask, I actually, I took some, I take pictures on my phone now when I see tweets, I like that I want to talk about. Oh wow! Um, so Ryan roof, Ryan roof um, from Rotowire, great closers, grid guy. They have to do their grid over there. Everybody should check it out. He uh, sent out, he's been doing a lot of different tweets, kind of recapping the, the season. So I want to ask you, there were seven closers that kept their job all year. Seven out of 30 baseball teams, oh. seven. So no committees, Seven guys kept their job all year. Can you even name like four or five of them? The guys that kept their job all year. Seven closers had their job all year. Rizal Iglesias. That's one. Liam Hendricks. Two. Ryan Presley. Three. Will Smith. Four. That was the one I would never would have got. Yeah, I couldn't. uh, Yeah. Um you're going to kill yourself when I tell you one of these or beat yourself up over one of these. Cause he technically, you might've thought he lost his job, but he didn't. Cause he was Jake, on the Jake McGee. No, Josh hater, but he was on the COVID. Hater, 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 hater. He was on the COVID IL. So it felt like he lost it, but he didn't. And then I'll give you Edwin Diaz kept Edwin it all year Diaz, somehow. Yeah. And Mark Melanson. Melanson. Who Mark like, Melanson. I think he led baseball on safety. I was all over Mark Melanson last yeah. year. Not this year. Uh, so Damn. those are the only seven guys in all of baseball that clipped their huh. cards. So that just let that sink in. Like we'll talk closers later on, and you'll hear him in a lot of shows. What, what about Kenley? Though he lost it did at times. Lose? They see. I I don't know what the definition of lost it was. Um, oh, he said two more didn't really lose their role, but ceded ten or more saves to others. One was Kenley Jansen. One was Aroldis Chapman. Well, Aroldis was yeah. injured. So Kimley, but still someone like on the Dodgers that must have been uh Trinan got at least ten saves. No, no. Trinan got two or three. So Knebel Knebel got two or three. So someone on the Dodgers. Joe got Kelly two. got two or three. Oh, maybe it's combined ten or more saves. Yeah, I okay. think it's gotta be combined because yeah, yeah, ten or more saves think, to I don't others. think Kenley ever lost yeah. his job though. No. Trust that, me, that, I was I was waiting for Kenley. Oh, I, yeah. I had Kenley and I was I was nervous. That, there's another thing. Stick to the back of the baseball card. Everyone was calling for his job. Like halfway through the he season, was really I, good this and year. I had him rostered, man. At least September alone, if not the last couple of months, filthy, just disgusting. The Kenley of old, he was striking guys Seven. out, shutting dudes down. Like some guys, just I don't know, it's weird. But I just wanted to bring that up. I thought it was interesting that only seven people kept their jobs this year. <laughs> You're telling me I shouldn't invest in closers, darn. Well, that's why it's tough. That's why I'm trying to say like the landscape. I don't see it's changing either. It's not changing anytime soon. Um, like I think if you go and get one of the big guys, uh, you're gonna be good because like Hendricks was on that list, Iglesias, you could still count Kenley, uh, Chapman still got a bunch of saves. Like even like the big guys, they're getting a, a boatload of saves still. And uh, if you mix and match them, I think it works out. It's just it's gonna be an interesting and in trying to break it all down this year. But um, so you you kind of already mentioned you're gonna go starting pitching a little more bulky early potentially, maybe not early early, but bulky early on. Uh, same with relief pitchers. You're going to try to attack that a little earlier. So that's a couple things. 
Anything else, any other positions or, or statistical categories you're going to try to attack? Like I mentioned, I need to focus on strikeouts and preferably innings pitched wins type situations. I need to focus on home runs. But that's not as urgent to me as strikeouts. What are you, any, anything offensively you're trying to like stay focused on? No, I'm really interested to see how, like, cause home runs were definitely down um, and batting average was definitely down. I'm very interested to see how that, this kind of new dynamic of lower home run totals and lower batting average, how that impacts the standings gains points, you know, and like dollar valuations for this next year. I'm very interested to see that because Adolis Garcia is a really great example where you may look at him and you're like, what do you end up hitting like 240 or something like that? Yeah. You're like, man, that's a total bummer. He hit 240, but he did have those 30 home runs and those 15 stolen bases. Well, 240 is league average now. You know, yep. so it doesn't yeah, have the same negative impact. 31 homers and 18, 16 stolen bases. Whew. Totally. Outstanding. And then alternatively, those batting average guys, man, it felt like all you needed was one batting average anchor to really have your team trending in the right direction. And so, yeah, so it'll be really interesting, I think, um, to think through like what, what, what the ramifications, all of those things are, but I think it just, you know, plate appearances is, is so much of this game yeah. and having guys in there, not taking zeros, see, knowing what the platoons are and who's going to be in in a given week. Home runs and stolen bases are where it's at and batting average, obviously, but like that's where the value lies. You can really grind out a lot of the runs and, and RBI just by paying attention and, and trying to maximize plate appearances on your team, I think. So that's, that's, that's one thing. Those are some of the things. No, about. you mentioned that's one thing I, I rarely ever pay attention to. Like I, I do, but I don't think I do it like the way I need to. Like it's in the back of my head stuff, but I need to pay attention to platoons more. Like yeah, I, and more teams are doing it now, so eventually that's going to be one of those things where you just kind of oh well, this guy's got the strong side of it, so let's roll. But uh, it is the, the the just the plate appearances. It's crazy how guys like Zimmerman and, and Phil and you know you mentioned Dave McDonald and everything. They just they're so focused on that sometimes more than the other thing and. You just keep accumulating stats. It's pretty simple in the in the end when you think about it. But that when on paper you're just like, oh, I'd rather have this guy, blah blah blah. But it makes sense. So maybe it's more of a tiebreaker thing going through drafts, and that I have to make a more concerted effort to to take a look at as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking at um, the at bat leaders. Like you know, uh, all the team, most of the teams finished in the top 100. You know, Steve Weimer leads it. Great player, Steve. Jeff Zimmerman's second. Phil Dussault is fourth. And did he do anything good this year? Yeah, I know, right? Phil is Phil's so good. Um, <laughs> I mean, I've already congratulated him in like everywhere. So, yeah. But kudos to Phil. Um, yeah, it's just like the plate appearance, the app ads are so crazy. What's funny to me is that there's literally in the top, in the top okay here's the first one so right here so maybe like among the top 40 teams there was only two teams among the the top 40 teams in terms of at bats who had who had the most at bats this year there's only two teams that were 200 or above in the overall and they were both my teams <laughs> nice so nice. i just messed up on the 
runs to plate appearances and RBIs to plate appearances. Or something. Yeah. Always trying to learn and get better. It's the best we can do. And there's always something that slips by and you look back and I guess I got, I am going to look back like on my actual teams. Cause I know I got a couple where the home run struggled a ton. It's like, well, Christian Walker, I took late hoping for home runs. He did absolutely nothing. That's oh, that's like 25 to 30 home runs you're planning for just disappear. That's that puts you in a massive hole out the gate. And so it's like I can't like certain teams I looked at them like I shouldn't beat myself up a ton. It was literally like one or two players that ruined it all. It wasn't like a cumulative thing. It was like one or two dudes that you specifically drafted for that thing and they just no showed. And I don't think you can count on that every year. I don't think you're going to hit the the that bad every year type thing. So was the process that far off? Maybe not, but uh, there's still definitely worth looking at. But I remember he was a big guy, took late in a lot of drafts, like as a corner infielder for power alone, and that did not pan out at all. So <laughs> we'll see. We'll see where that goes forward. But let's talk about the good things again. We'll talk about some 2021 fantasy awards. So, so we'll start with the offensive MVP, Toby. Who was your offensive MVP? And it, wait, it's not Vladimir Guerrero Jr. It's not. I mean, the way that I think about this is just like just comparing ADP to what they were able to produce. And for that, I mean, I think there's a easy shout for Cedric Mullins to get that for sure. Um, and yeah, he should probably get that actually now that I'm thinking about it. But the guy I wrote down was Marcus Semyon. Um, 45 home runs, 15 stolen bases, 115 runs. 102 RBI with a 265 batting average. So a plus batting average, you know, in today's landscape. Um, he's just phenomenal. He's had 700 or more plate appearances in three of the last four years. Talk about a guy who just kind of grinds it out. And, you know, I had him, I was fortunate to have him on a few teams. And one of the things we talked about leading into the season about why we felt like he might be a benefit is because he had so many more home runs on the road than at home in Oakland. And then, so moving to a stadium where that was even average was such a huge step up for him. And I remember us talking about how the Reds would have been like an ideal landing awesome. spot for him, right? Yeah. I think we were talking about that, but I'm really interested to see what happens with him. Obviously, you know, um, the Blue Jays will want to resign him. You know, at the same time, you know, they're not going to want to give a 31-year-old shortstop or second baseman, I guess now a huge contract, you know, like probably more than two or three years. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens with him and where he goes this off season. Um, Cause he's great fit in that lineup. And, but you know, we'll see what they end up doing. Yeah. No, I love Simeon. and I have him down in the next segment of uh, offensive players, but I, I agree. I should have went with someone with ADP, but I went with Trey Turner just to bring home the fact that he is probably the best player you can draft in baseball for the fact that uh, he played 148 games, didn't play a full season because of COVID, but uh, 28 homers, 32 steals, 107 runs scored, 328 average. He's going to be hitting at the top of the Dodgers order next year. He's just so good. And it's like there's certain people that are all in on Trey Turner and certain people that still don't believe he can do it. And we've been pounding that drum for a few years now that he is this good. And now people are actually going to pay up and pay the price for him, which really stinks for people that believed in him and would hope he would fall. But I just he brings – all five categories to your team. Like we talk about getting steals early and, you know, Whit Merrifield's awesome, but the power's kind of hit and miss. And Starling Marte was awesome, but the power was almost non-existent. So those guys are great, but Trey Turner gives you everything. Like, like J-Ram's awesome, but he'll get you 30 to 40 homers and like 20 to 25 steals. So he's, he's like just below Trey Turner kind of. And but, the batting uh, average isn't as good. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah Anderson is good. So Trey Turner just does so much. You just talked about earlier how the, like the new Norman batting average is like 240. He had 328. He had 335 last year, 298 the year before. Just that alone is going to be huge if the, the landscape stays the same, which it probably will. Oh, yeah, the, the home run Dodgers. Yeah, leading off oh, for the Dodgers or hitting God. second behind Mookie Betts. Either way, like my goodness, what he's going to do in that lineup. So I know it might have been a, a layup to use him as the MVP, but what he does to your fantasy team, it allows you so much leeway that to me he's the MVP, and um, it's going to be hard to pass on him at one one next year. I'll be very honest with that. It's, he's very very high up on the list. Um, who is your Cy Young? My Cy Young. Well, I saw who you put. <laughs> and I think that's a really good shout. I'm going to go with Carlos Rodon, though, because I think Rodon, he went a little bit later than Ray. Um, he went around pick 300, 320, something like that. And he did not. Uh, so let me just pull it up. So I'm not. I think one thing about Rodon was just like he was so good, like 237 ERA. He only threw 132 innings. But 237 ERA, a 0.96 whip is just so beautiful. Like an under one whip from a starting pitcher that's giving you that level of ERA and then 34.5% strikeout rate, like 12.5 Ks per nine, a 28% K minus walk. Like he was so good. He was so good. And then even though he was like, off and on down the stretch. I mean, like in terms of being available, like he can't, he brought it home. I mean, let's see. He had his last six starts, five innings, 11 Ks, zero earned runs, five innings, three Ks, two earned runs, five innings, five Ks, one earned run, five innings, seven Ks, one earned run. You know, he had then he had the bad outing where he got taken out, but still three innings pitched, six Ks, two earned runs. And then the last week of the season, five innings pitched, four Ks, zero earned runs. Like he was just so consistent and so good all year long. Um, I went with him and he also had 13 wins, mm-hmm. which That's was big. huge, which was huge. I mean, that now is like, I mean, we talked about Giolito. He only had 11, he pitched 50 more innings, you know? So I'll, I went with Carlos Rodon for those reasons. Yeah, I love it. It's a great call. I went with Robbie Ray. Um, it's pretty simple. He's was by the Cy Young winner in the AL. Uh, so he, he should be my fantasy Cy Young as well. 193 innings pitched. And I, you look back at his previous years in the last full season, 2019, 174 innings. He's done this before. Um, the strikeout rate was a 32% K rate and 18. He had 31.5 in or 31.4, 19, 31.5. The biggest thing we say every year with Robbie Ray is don't walk, guys. He cut the walks, and uh, magically everything else just fell into place beautifully. Um, you know, the the, the batting average against was much lower, and, and everything else fell on the line. But I think a lot of that is because he's not walking, guys. He's not having to force his way into pitching into hitters' counts and try not to let them score. Like, all these things that comes with letting free passes on base. It was a beautiful thing watching him uh, just shove, absolutely be be just just dirty out there. 13 wins as well, um, a 32-game start. He had 33 starts in 2019. He had 32 starts in 2016. He's had 28 more in four of his last five full seasons now. But I guess is another guy. If you're just looking at innings, he's got to be near that list. Now, is there concerns maybe 193 after a small season? There's a lot of that that could take place next year. But to me, he's absolutely amazing. 
the uh, the J Stadium has a humidor now, so we saw the home run rates drop rapidly in the last couple of months in uh, in Toronto. So that's another one to keep an eye on as well, and that could just benefit him even more, which might make guys like Hung Jin Ryu all of a sudden a little more intriguing after the rough year he had. But that's a, another podcast for another day. But yeah, Rob, Robbie Ray's my guy. I did put in parentheses just because I wanted to mention one thing that was interesting. I gave an honorable mention to Julio Urias just for the fact he threw 185 innings, which is terrifying because he has never come close to that before, but he had 20 wins, 20 wins. Um, I couldn't have predicted either one of those happening. I did not. I thought maybe 130 innings. So the innings plus the wins that deserves an honorable mention to me just because I'm terrified of what they're going to do with him next year. I, I I don't know what that that's an injury prone arm from the past that just took all those innings. So I'm very concerned. But um, all right, who are one of your three fantasy surprises? Well, this will come as no surprise to anybody. But um, my first one is Vlad Jr. He was obviously a huge surprise to me. I mean, I think according to Rasball, he finishes the number one player. Yep. So I'm gonna I'm gonna eat that loss. I've been eating it all year long. That's been a lot of fun. I've endured the enjoyed the tour of shame. Um but, but I mean kudos to Vlad. He made the changes that everybody wanted him to make. Um, so we know the stat line was just incredible. He stayed healthy, he played, he got 700 plate appearances, he dropped the ground ball rate by 10% from 54.6% to 44.8%. He dropped it about 4% from his um, usual. The home run per fly ball skyrocketed up to 26.5%. Um, he dropped the K or he kept this, the K rate about the same, but still elite uh, level K rate, which is fantastic. Um, and I think the biggest change was his exit velocity on line drives and fly balls. That had been one of my biggest criticisms for him um, for forever. And he was really able to, to turn that around. So he had uh, 75 barrels um, this past year, um, which, which is fantastic. Barrel rate was up to 15.1%, so almost double what it had been previously um, in his career. Actually, yeah, about double what it had been previously in his career. So just a huge uh, kudos to folks who believed in him and believe that uh, in that growth is not linear and that he could make that jump. You certainly benefited a lot from that. And, and, you know, um, and I, I didn't at all. So, yeah, hey, it, it happens. I think that's one of those that the logic of said, it said amazing. The logic made sense. The results were bananas. So, and we all said it too. He's eventually going to figure it out and he just figured it out. So it was, uh, it's going to be interesting. I won't be having probably any Vlad next year because that price is already a first round price and that's empty stolen bases. So you guys know the rules with me. That's just not going to happen. But uh, my first one's Marcus Simeon. You hit on it earlier. I echo everything you said. The guy is amazing. Really looking forward to where he goes. Another reason that we liked him a lot at his draft price is he was going to get second base eligibility, which is huge. So you got a second base shortstop kind of guy out there that just crushes and he's proved it now in a few years in a row. So yeah, I'm hundred percent on board with you on that one. Uh, who's your second um, fantasy surprise. I'm going to go with Tyler O'Neill. I, I mean, like I think one. we we all knew he could do it, but he also closed like a like crazy, right? I mean, he just went off uh, in the last few weeks. Won a bunch of people championships. You know, I think the key is the batting average. I mean, he hit 286 
with a 31.3% strikeout rate, which is just uh, ridiculous. I mean, he did have a 3366 Babbitt, but career it's 338. So he may have gotten a little bit fortunate, you know, but there's a lot of good, decent stuff there. I mean, the contact rate is low, so it's not necessarily ideally what you want it to be, but when you can provide that level of power and speed and you're getting in the lineup every single day, you didn't even get to 600 plate appearances for those 34 home runs and those 15 stolen bases. So again, huge shout out uh, to him. I only had him on a couple DCs, but uh, phenomenal, uh, phenomenal return uh, for O'Neill. Yeah, I love the O'Neill call. He was crushing towards the end. Really, um, his, his price tag doesn't go through the roof, which stinks, but uh, the dude's awesome. Power, speed, and now average. So uh, really, really fun one there. My second one, Cedric Mullins. The dude was amazing. 30-30, hit 291, scored 91 runs for the uh, the Orioles. Leading off, played 159 games, 675 plate appearances. Um, the, the dude was awesome this year. Like, I'm expecting some regression, but at the same time, I still think he can get 25-25 possibly. Or uh, The steals are legit. We've seen the steals in the minors. The power is the one that I'm still somewhat skeptical on uh, continuing this path, but I still think he's 20-25 to home run guy. Uh, the max EV was actually the lowest it's been in two years. So that'll tell you he's not by much, but he's still, um, he's still, he's been hitting it hard most of the time. But now he's barreling balls up in the past 0% barrel, 2.8, 8.1% barrel rate this year. So maybe he just figured something out. He worked on some things in the short season and here we are. So it could be a transformation for said Mullins, a regular playing time in the bigs. He's only 27. There's a lot of growth to still be had with said Mullins. So could he go 30 30? Probably. It's a pretty uh, special club though. So I'm thinking more like, the steel's legit. Maybe a regression in the power could be totally wrong, but uh, I think he had a heck of a year and deserves a little bit of props, like you said. So, uh, said Mullins is my number two. Who is your final surprise? Great call, and I would have had him on there too. And I, but I just saw that you'd already put him on here. Phenomenal player. You want to know what it kind of brings up a random thing for me is I wonder if like if Ozzy Albie's just became a right-handed hitter only. Whether like I know it's it's obviously different from the righty versus lefty perspective, but check out Ozzy Albie's splits. Oh, he, he mashes left-handed pitching, mashes Dude. them, like destroys them. Oh, trust me, this is what DFS will do to you. He destroys lefties. He does. He's got a 146 in his career. He's a 339 average, 146 WRC plus mm-hmm. player. Ozzy Albie's is, you know, in. You know, he's only got 617 plate appearances, but in a full season, right? And then front versus righties, he's a 94 WRC plus, 250 hitter, 442 slug versus 577, 370 versus 310. Like, I wonder if he just gave it a shot, if that mm-hmm. could help out Albies at all. Yeah. Because said, said I mean, that it's, maybe that was it. Maybe that was the trick. Albies had a phenomenal season. He was a 30 20 guy. This oh, he was year, awesome. Which is nuts. Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, anyways, um, yeah, anyways. Uh, so my next guy was Austin Riley. Uh, not going to lie. I looked and I was like, wait a second. Austin Riley's hitting 300. Yep. Like end of the season. Had no idea how well he was doing because he's not. I got him on one DC, right? And he's in the lineup. You don't even worry about moving him in and out. I was like, holy crap. Austin Riley had a phenomenal year. I mean, 33 homers, 303 batting average, 107, 107 RBIs, 91 run. Like, 
what? Well, I, I just totally missed this season. This totally flew under my radar uh, completely. And kudos to everybody who got him. Man, that was just a surprise as in like, I had no idea he was doing that well. It just totally caught me by surprise. Yeah, he was awesome. And he was just, he's hitting cleanup and just mashing all over the ballpark. So yeah, and, and the biggest thing is the strikeout rate dropped a ton. Like 25.4% people might golf at, but for him, that's really good. And for the standard of a lot of power hitters in baseball, that's really good now. That's one thing I've, I've been talking to some guys about. And I think between the averages dropping and strikeout rates climbing, we have to change our expectations. Like some guys, the old days of, you know, striking out 100 plus times and being embarrassing doesn't exist. Um, guys are cool striking out because it's all about, it's the old Jose Batista thing. Let's do it as hard as I can. I don't care if I hit it or not, but if I do hit it, it's going a long, long ways. And that's what a lot of these guys are doing now. That's why Javi Baez had such a monster year. Average was wishy-washy. Strikeout was still high, but he mashed in power, stole a ton of bases. That's the new standard, potentially. Potentially. We'll see. But I think we might have to kind of re-gear our, our, our mindset on like just staring at strikeout rate and bad average as much as we used to. It's still scary. Swinging miss can be terrifying because obviously if you're swinging and missing a ton, less going to play, less things can happen. But this could be uh, the way, as the Mandalorian would say. So uh, something to to keep in mind as we keep going through this offseason. My final guy, and this is kind of a shout-out to just an old guy, that kind of a, a guy I was wrong on, and I'm scared to try him again next year just because he's getting older and like eventually the, the wheels have to come off the bus. But Charlie Morton was absolutely amazing. 185 innings pitched, 14 wins for the Braves. Um, that's after 194, 167 innings the last two uh, long seasons for Tampa Bay and Houston. He had a 28.6% K rate, which he had a 30.4 and a 28.9 and 18 and 19. He basically replicated those seasons. He was absolutely amazing. Uh, he was the ace for the Braves most of the season because most guys were getting hurt or this. Like Freed finished the season. He was a September pitcher of the month. Like He was awesome. But Morton was absolutely amazing, a guy that I was scared this past season what his workload would be. I'm already scared for next season that he got the extension, so he's with the Braves. He was amazing. Absolutely amazing. I, I think I probably shouldn't be scared of him because he's done it now three full seasons in a row, and it might just be who he is. But he's 37, and eventually that jet train comes to an end. But I think I'd, I, I want to give him a shout-out because he was one of those guys that you could have taken a, a late flyer. Like, I have the March main event ADPs up right here. Charlie Morton, oh, he actually was moving up. He went pick 85. I'm kind of surprised by that. Uh, he was pick 85 ADP in the month of March, which was much higher than I would have assumed. But um, he was awesome. He was worth that ADP. Let's put it that way. Worth it. So wanted to mention him. All right. Definitely. He was so good down the stretch. Yeah, he was amazing. Like, I never would have predicted that in a million years. Uh, let's get a few listener questions, and we'll head on out of here for our first postseason podcast. Andrew Matney uh, asks, will the Mets ever stop kicking me in the balls? I'll hang up and listen. Uh, Andrew and I share a main event team. Um, you know, I thought me buying a Mets hat midseason would really propel them to uh, to victory and change their fortunes, but it did not. Uh, it didn't work out. In fact, they were really bad after I bought the Mets hat. Yeah, so, that's sorry. Uh, Jacob Day W. Wincoop asks, do you think Cedric Mullins was a fluke or will he duplicate what he did this season? I kind of said I don't think it's a fluke. I'm kind of hesitant on the power, but he might have made adjustments, maybe not switch hitting, as you mentioned. These these things, I, I, I let's just say I believe there's more to him redoing it than not doing it. That'd be what I would say. 
Yeah. I mean, I think that he looks really solid. I mean, you know, the exact numbers. So let's just take a look. So the walk rate was solid. O swing solid, slightly better than league average, slightly better than league average. K rate is low, which really helps that keep that batting average up. The contact rates are all obviously really good. The Babbitt was 322. His career is 304, but it doesn't seem strange necessarily, especially a fast guy like him who's hitting from the left side more or completely now instead of the right side that that might benefit him. This this is also like, you know, um, way more plate appearances than he's ever had from a season. So that looks relatively reasonable. Maybe a little bit of a given that batting average, but I wouldn't expect it too much. And then when you look at like his numbers, so he had 39 barrels and he had 30 home runs. Typically it's around 60% of barrels. So what I would say is, you know, I would project him maybe next year, although he does play in Camden, but I'd project him maybe for 20 to 25 next year, you know, something like that. I imagine the projections will have him around there. Um, And so, and then he stole 30 out of 38, which seems relatively reasonable. So I don't see why he can't get close to um, doing what he did before, you know, maybe a little bit, I wouldn't expect the same power, but you know, the 25, 25 or the 2020 even is with that batting average is fantastic. And who knows, maybe they'll get slightly better next year offensively. Uh, and he'll help Castle, score a few Hayes, runs. Mancini, like they're still yeah. going to be, they're still going to be there it's true. <laughs> unless they get traded, which that wouldn't surprise me, but they should still be there. That's, yeah. that's a pretty potent least top of the order. Yeah. And there you, go. you mentioned Cam. Cedric Mullins, grab him. Yep. Everyone wants him. So get, you have to get him early. Uh, Lil Book Calm, he uh, mentions first, thanks for a good season because he finished first and second. But thank you for listening. You've been awesome. Um, he said, per fan graph, end of year auction value, only nine of the top 20 starting pitchers were drafted in the top 45 in NFBC. Starting mm-hmm. pitch, top 45 starting pitchers in NFBC. Is this an outlier season or early starting pitcher often this risky? Uh, it's an outlier season. Yeah. For sure. A lot of and, injuries. Lot and of why injuries. that is, there's injuries. You know, this the guys normally at the top are the guys that produce a ton of volume. And we didn't necessarily see that, right? Like even some of the guys we've talked about, like Ray had 193 innings. Rodon had 132. Um, if you look at the leaders, like it was just that, there's like three or four guys that hit 200. Um, so I think it's an, it's an outlier season. I think it has to do with the injuries and just coming off of the shortened season. And how much that messes with guys. I think that the challenging thing will be determining. Um, and I think you need to go case by case is determining what, what was that and what was actual kind of skill changes or changes in volume that we're going to see heading into next year as well. You know, because in a typical season, it's like the guys that will fall the most, you know, your Aaron Nola's for instance, right. Where it's almost unexplainable how bad he was, uh, especially given like some of the underlying skills, like, Normally you'd want to prioritize those guys next year, even though recency bias has us not want to do that because, you know, like they should be the same guys and they will be values, but it'll be really interesting to see like with each guy, like how that, how that happens. I also think there's just a lot of really good young starting pitchers who kind of took that next step or not even young guys, but guys who maybe showed really great skills, your Gaussmans, you know, your Alcantara's, your, um burns is although he was going high as well but like those guys freddie peralta's those guys who kind of showed really good skills in 2020 and were able to translate those into 2021 
as well. So it's going to be tough. It's going to be really difficult uh, pitching landscape next year that we'll have to figure out. Well, yeah. Cause one of the really tough ones is, well, we were like, well, what's the workload going to be like after the 60 game season? Well, now it's like, what's the workload going to be like after a full season, after a 60 game season? Like, are they still like, yeah. it's just, uh, it's going to be a freaking mess. It's going to be a and, few seasons before we're out of that. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully knock on wood, we have a full season next year. So that's, let's, let's, let's keep that one going too. <laughs> That'll make it even more entertaining. But, um, Wake up at wake up one through through nine. I'm just gonna say that he's a very he's a parody account basically. He's a very smart fantasy player, but he's very funny, very very funny. And he says, "Is average launch angle something you will be reviewing over the off season?" I'd never look at average launch. It's angle. a backhanded Vlad Guerrero comment. I know. But <laughs> I never look at average, uh, whatever it's called. I never look at launch uh, angle. I always look so at ground goofy. ball rate. Right? So goofy. Um, Ryan, yeah, yes, I was wrong on Vlad. Ryan Roof asks, um, any closers that emerge late that you think will be you'll be targeting next year, like Doval, Bedner, Rainey, Chafin, Stratton? I'll be targeting Doval. I know that for a fact because I think they found someone there. I was telling guys in September that I thought he'd be our closer next year, not this year. Well, he's already closing this year. So, um, barring something crazy, I like the kid. The kid is filthy, absolute filthy. There's a lot that's going to take place. Like these are all good names, but um, they're all on teams where you're playing roulette already, <laughs> so it's tough. It is really tough. Uh, Chafin sucks, so not definitely not Chafin. He's awful. When did Scott Jamstead join the show? He's, he is. He was terrible <laughs> when I picked him up. Terrible when he got saves for me. Terrible when he blew saves for me. Gosh, that guy's whip and his ERA were probably so out of whack on the A's. Like he would just. Give up so much. Uh, Joe Ball is interesting. I mean, remember, Jake McGee's injured, though. They have him yeah. next year as well. And Doval, the financial incentives are not to give young guys yeah. those save opportunities. I but, don't think I don't think Farhan cares about the financial incentives. Okay. We'll see. Well, we we the shall only thing see. With, the only thing, if anything, he'll split with McGee. He'll take the Rodgers role. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Because um, McGee's just strictly a fastball guy, and that caught up to him. That caught up to him in a big way. Yeah. Bednar's really good. Mm-hmm. Really good. His curveball down the stretch was disgusting. Like you would watch him and he kept it low in the zone. It was just, it was beautiful to watch. At the same time, they're having him rotate with Chris Stratton, who was also looked fantastic down the stretch as well. And who's also an older player. I don't know if he's a free agent or not. You know, so it's just really hard to say, honestly, with some of these guys. Um, I think Class A. Classe, they clearly, I think Classe was great. Um, and I think he's he's a guy who he should have the job next year. I can't see Cleveland spending big bucks to bring in a more expensive closer. And they were willing to give him the role from the get go last year. So I don't know why they wouldn't go back to him next year. Yeah. I'll th- I'm looking forward to digging in on the bullpens and what, looking at what Ryan and, and uh, Greg and all these guys, Michael Carter, and so many of these, these really good bullpen guys. Um, have to say because there's so many question marks in the bull. Like, it, like I said, it's going to be wor- like the same or worse next year. It, it, this is not going to get any better anytime soon because a lot of the teams that were constantly churning guys out, well, it's because they didn't want to spend money to begin with, so they're going to keep doing the same thing. And then other teams are realizing, like the Giants and the, you know the Rays and stuff, is I'm playing situations and I got multiple guys that can get the job done, and we're going to roll. So it, it's going to be a it's going to be interesting. That's just to say the least. It'll be fun to uh, break down and uh, make us probably get very angry to start next year as well. So 
But uh, that'll wrap it up, Toby. No more questions for this evening. We have uh, wrapped up our review show for 2021. Any final thoughts as we are soon going to be looking into 2022? No, thanks to everybody for listening throughout. Really appreciate it. Thanks for um, those of you who shared kind of results and um, appreciate the kind words of everybody on the podcast. Uh, it's been a fantastic season again with you, Bubba. I'm rocking it out. Um, so looking forward to the off season, you know, we'll, 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 we'll see. Uh, we'll definitely be here for most of the off season may take a little bit of a breather, but um, appreciate everybody and their support of the show following us. The questions throughout the year are always great. You guys always ask fantastic questions. So I uh, really appreciate that. And um, congrats everybody on finishing this season and let's get ready for 2022. Yep, it's coming right around the corner. So we'll be with you guys off and on throughout the offseason. Lots of content coming your way, though. So check it all out. Check out Toby on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. I'm at BD Entrick. Uh, thanks for listening all season, guys, and congratulations to those that were victorious. We'll catch you guys later. That is going to wrap us up, not only for the 2021 baseball season, but also for episode 194 of the Batflip Crazy Podcast and edition number 94 or 98 of Bubba and the Batflip. A lot of fun. Uh, Next week, Bubba and I will be at Furt's Pitch, Arizona um, with some of our fantasy baseball friends. Definitely looking forward to that. We may even have, if we're lucky enough to make it, a couple of our first drafts of the season. I'm really hoping uh, to do a draft and hold. Um, That should be a lot of uh, fun, but I'll have to get in there in time. Uh, to make that happen. So hopefully we'll be coming to you uh, in a couple weeks with some of the results from those early drafts, but uh, we'll see. Should be a fun time either way at First Pitch Arizona. As always, best of luck with your fantasy baseball offseason. Take care and be kind to one another.